Well, good morning. Good morning. How's everyone doing today? Pretty good? Oh, yeah. So, hey, you know, this is a beautiful setup. Can we just, for a moment, can just give appreciation to our setup crew for putting this together? All right, this is awesome. Now, I have always been one of those guys who's always very adamant that it is wrong, that it's absurd even, to try to celebrate Christmas before Thanksgiving. Like, I, I've always been picky on that. Like, my wife, every year, is like, hey, can we, it's like November 1st, and she's like, hey, can we put up the Christmas tree? And I'm always like, no, absolutely not. Because for me, Thanksgiving is a, is a sacred holiday. It's a, it's a man's holiday, if you think about it. I mean, like, you get to gorge yourself on delicious food, I mean, like, let's be honest, there's many of us in this room right now, all you're thinking about is that future macaroni platter, right? You want your macaroni and cheese? Like, this is a, a great holiday. You gorge yourself on food. You get to be with friends and family. You get to watch football, maybe take a nap. It's like the perfect man holiday, right? And so I've always been at it, like, we can't take away from just the holiness of Thanksgiving. We've got to wait until, like, the day after Thanksgiving before we put Christmas up. And now here we are today with Christmas decorations up. We're starting our Christmas series before Thanksgiving. And last weekend, I helped my wife put up the Christmas tree. And I know, I know you're sitting there thinking, Mason, you're a hypocrite. You broke a rule. And I admit, you know, I'm not perfect and things like that. But I think we can all agree that, that this year kind of changes the rules on a lot of things. Because this is not a normal year. And I think we can all kind of feel that tension as we're starting to enter into the holidays of this feeling that this is not going to be a normal Christmas season. That we're going to find ourselves facing some probably new obstacles that are just constantly coming up, right? We're going to face these new restrictions. We're going to have holiday gatherings where there are going to be people there who are normally there who are not going to be there this year because of sickness, because of a number of different restrictions. And so let's enter into this new space looking to find some rest. And let's enter into this space using the opportunity to ask ourselves some real questions of what this Christmas season is all about because the rules are changing. Because what we've always done cannot sustain us and where we are now going. Because if you think about it, the Christmas season, is it not weary for a lot of us? Do we not end the holidays and we feel maybe a little empty inside? We feel burned out. And we watch this trend in our society where there's this pressure for parents and there's this guilt that's looming over you that you've got to get the perfect gift for your child otherwise your child will hate you. Do we not feel this pressure of these constant ad commercials that seem to start earlier and earlier every year? And as soon as you start them, yes, they look pretty, but there's something inside that's like, oh, great, now we've got to go through this cycle again. Or, are we going to be able to afford Christmas this year? Are we going to be able to do the things we've always wanted to do? And are we seeing that there's this growing trend even among our kids where they're trying to, to find the correlation between the birth of Christ and getting everything they want on their Christmases? And then we open up Scripture. And in our weariness, and in our, our rising stress and anxiety and depression that you see this time of year, and believe me, it happens. I used to work at a behavioral health clinic. This time of year is when there's an influx of patients. 
of people coming in with stress and anxiety and depression from the holidays. And as we're starting to enter the season, maybe, maybe we take a moment and we actually open up the scriptures for once and we're trying to see from Jesus how maybe he promises something different from us. And what we see is maybe he says things like this in, in the book of Matthew. If he was here today, maybe he would say this, saying, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And yet look around at how people live during this time. Both Christians and non-Christians. And do we not feel weary? Do we not feel tired? Do we not feel a little bit indignant? Or maybe that quiet little question that might come up in our souls in the dead of night of Am I missing what this is about? Is this the way that Jesus wants me to be celebrating Christmas is to, to build my stress and anxiety and to feed into this consumerism that's in the world? Or would God have something different? What I'm talking about, if you think about it, what I'm talking about is contentment. Of what point do we find ourselves content in this season, this season that is oftentimes discontenting in our hearts. Where can we come to a place where maybe we're finding something new? What our hearts really are longing for in this crazy season of 2020. Because the world is going to promise that contentment can be found in material things. But God promises it in other ways. And I get that message of the world. Believe me, I do. Because yesterday, me and my wife, we went to Cape. And we're walking around and we're we went there to fill out our baby registry for our, our future child and things like that. But we also went around to other stores, and I, I went in thinking, I don't need anything. But when I saw things, I immediately was thinking, oh, I, I kind of need this. Like, I really want it. I, I desire this. Like, that's human nature for all of us, right? But sometimes when we just see things, we immediately feel a little discontentment in our hearts. So the focus of this series is to challenge the spirit that's in this world right now where, where Christmas became about consumerism and Christmas became about all these little things but is missing what Christmas is really about. Of what Jesus, when he came to our world, the implications of Christmas in the world. That's why we're calling this series Christmas Upside Down. Because the world is doing Christmas in a certain way. And we're going to challenge those statements in this series. We're going to remind ourselves of how Christmas is about a season of hope, not about a season of getting all of our desires. That Christmas is about finding contentment in the birth of Christ and the fact that God came into our world and walked this world among us rather than trying to find our contentment in life and gaining more in life. Because it doesn't satisfy. Because we always keep finding ourselves wanting more, right? When God has given us everything. Like Stephanie just read in, in the book of Ephesians, where God stepped in to give us salvation, to turn us into masterpieces, to make us do good works for his name, right? That there's contentment in this, but, but we look for it in so many other ways. And this is not just a problem for the 21st century or in 2020, okay? This is a problem that's been going on since the first century. 
If you open up the Bible, I mean, I know, scandalous thought, right? If we open up the Bible and we read some of Paul's letters, Paul's very big on this, talking about the challenges to Christianity. It's not going to be other pagan religions, but it's going to be the heart of consumerism and its people. You read this in 1 Timothy chapter 6, which is where we're going to be at the rest of the morning. So if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to turn there. And 1 Timothy is this letter that Paul's writing to a young pastor named Timothy. And he's basically sending Timothy out to go be a pastor. And he's giving him this encouraging letter as well as telling him different things you're going to need to do when you get there. And it's a wonderful letter. But he gets to chapter 6 and he starts talking about that the great threat to Christianity. That it's not going to be other pagan religions. It's going to be the consumerism. It's going to be this failure to find contentment in Christ. It's going to be this tendency to try to find what you really want, but finding it in worldly things that do not satisfy, rather than finding it in the Christ who came and died for us. And so he talks about this in chapter 6, talking to Timothy, saying, watch out, because there are even going to be people, other pastors who are going to stand up, who are going to become what we would call the prosperity gospel people, the health and wealth type gospel people. And he's warning them in the beginning of chapter 6, says, watch out for them, because they're going to take the gospel and they're going to distort it. They're going to change its message to make it all about, hey, you need to be wealthy, and then you'd be healthy, and this is a sign that God's blessing you, and that this is what the main goal of life is, and just to be healthy and wealthy, and they're trying to get you to buy into getting this blessing. He, he's warning Timothy, he's like, this is what's looming ahead for us. The great threat that we see, even at Christmas time, is that if I just get more stuff, or if I just meet the needs of others. Or if I just get what everyone else wants to have, then I'll satisfy that brokenness that's inside. And so he's talking to Timothy about this, and he warns him to live in a different way. We pick up in verse 6 of chapter 6, in verse 10. And it reads like this. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. I mean... A crazy concept, right? Like you're born in this world with nothing. But think about it, even if you live your life trying to get all the toys, all the things of this world that it offers, you're still going to die with, with the same thing that you came into the world with. That's nothing. We're all going to live like this. And you can't take anything with you, right? So he says that we can't take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with this we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. Now, notice there, he says those who desire to be rich. He's not saying those who are rich are horrible people or should be ashamed or guilty. That's not what he's saying. He's saying those who desire to be rich. Now, I've noticed that even as Christians, we can justify this desire within us, right? That we want more money. We even justify, like, if I just had more money, then I'd be able to do more good things for God, Right? Like, I even hear this among Christians. And he says, even this desire to be rich is a great temptation. That this is a little bit of a problem. And he goes on, he says, they fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Wow, Paul, you're like, really putting on the heat. You're like, those are some challenging statements. And he goes on, he says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of issues. Notice, he's not saying money is evil. He says, the love of money. The, the idea that money can buy you something, buy your identity, fix that brokenness inside you. He says, this is the root of all kinds of evil, the, this 
secret promise that money has, okay? It says it's the root of all kind of evil. It says it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith. I mean, that's, ooh, that's kind of challenging. That, that if we have this desire, like, if I could just have a little bit more inside, if I could just have this thing, this is the thing that I need in my life, then we might just find ourselves, if that's our main pursuit, then we might just find ourselves drifting away from the faith. This promise that God has given us, this new life that God has offered up to us. And he finishes up by saying, and, and these people not only wandered away from faith, but they pierced themselves with many pains. I kind of read that, and what pops in my head immediately is that scene from Nemo, you know, with the little birds and all of them saying, my, 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 my. It's a really funny scene. And they're like tackling over each other, trying to, and it's like a scramble, and people are getting hurt in the midst of this chaotic little moment. And then I read this, and I'm like, not only am I picturing that this is kind of like what Paul's talking about, but this is also in some ways probably the, the verse or the passage that, that most describes our Western society. Because we have this built into us as little kids to crave more and more and more. And, and we're tired of little kids. If we just scream and complain enough, then we'll get what we want. Or maybe when we grow up, it's like, okay, well, if we work hard enough, then we'll get what we want, right? Like, this is our Western society mindset that if you have something, then therefore you're a little bit better than those who don't have the same thing. And we incorporate that to a number of things, whether it's the bigger house, the bigger car, the fancier gadget, or your kid in a certain school, or your kids doing even certain activities that other kids aren't doing, or, or a host of different reasons, or, or my job, I've, I've gotten to this level of my career, so therefore I'm better than everyone else at this other level, or because of the money. And, and we live in that kind of society, right? Where we're always trying to find more. We're trying to find contentment in the more that we can gain. But it doesn't satisfy. Because the things of this world do not satisfy us because maybe we weren't made for the world that we live in. You read the book of Genesis and you see a completely different kind of world. Maybe we were made for that kind of world, one where we're in a relationship with God. And we're finding that all we need in life is met in Christ. There's this guy named Nelson Rockefeller. He no longer lives in he died in 1979, and he was this businessman and politician, and when he died, his net worth was $1.1 billion. $1.1 billion in 1979. And he got asked by a reporter right before he died, how much did he think he needed to live or to have to live uncomfortably? And here's what he said. It, it shocked me when I read this. It not, Rockefeller replied, a little more than I get. A little more than I get. And the man was worth $1.1 billion. And he wasn't satisfied. He constantly had a sense of, I've got to earn more. I've got to make more. I've got to make more of myself. I read this, that quote from him, and it makes me think of the Old Testament King Solomon. I don't know if you've ever heard of King Solomon. He's in the Old Testament. He was the son of David. Big guy, right? And he was the richest man who has ever lived on the world, okay? He's it's vastly uh, amount of money that he has would make Rockefeller just drool, okay? Like, $1.1 billion is like chump change for King Solomon in the Old Testament, all right? And, and King Solomon was also known as the wisest man who's ever lived. 
And he wrote this book called Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes, he's trying to find the purpose of life, the meaning of life, and things like that. And so he's trying to find it in all these different ways. He's keep finding them as these vain attempts of life. He's not finding anything in life. But then he comes to money. He's like, maybe if I just earn more money, if I just make myself even richer, maybe I will satisfy that brokenness in my heart, that, that discontent, that dissatisfaction in my heart. And here's what he eventually comes to the conclusion of after his pursuit of gaining more wealth. We see in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10, he says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with it, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vain. Now, we hear that. And I recognize that none of us in this room are as rich as Rockefeller or King Solomon. So it's easy to be like, Mason, that, that's okay. Because if I earned $1.1 billion, I would be completely different than them. Okay? I would live differently. And you're sitting there thinking, yeah, more money, more problems, right? Or, or you're sitting there thinking, you know, money can't buy you happiness. Like, we hear these things, right? And we say, yes, that's truth. You know what's also truth? Is that even though people say that, they will oftentimes live their lives as if they can buy the happiness. And we all do this. For instance, if we were to change jobs, change cities, anything like that, change the way you're doing business, and someone's to ask us, hey, why did you make this change? Why did you maybe go from working six days a week to now you're working every single day of the week, or whatever? You know, we, we ask these questions of people, and if they say, oh, it's because I can make more money doing things like this, then we stop asking questions. We think that justifies the answer. And we don't stop to ask, well, is that right? Is this what God would desire? And this discontentment extends itself more than just money. But I think Paul, he's kind of bringing out a broader spectrum than just money, and Jesus would echo this as well in the Gospels, that this discontentment is more than just money, it's also some of the money, or some of the things that money can buy. So maybe, maybe for us, we buy certain things because we're trying to get the attention of others. We want to be perceived in a certain way. So we'll dress a certain way, we'll act a certain way, and we'll be a part of different clubs. Why? Because we want to be seen in a certain light. This even goes into the social media realm, okay? Some of you are going to be a little bit uncomfortable with this, but when you post something on social media and you find yourself later, when you see that little red box that has a number on it, even if it's one, you find the urge of, I've got to immediately click on that, and I've got to go to my post, and I've got to see who all's liked it. That's the exact same issue. That there's something broken inside of us, something that we're finding discontenting, and we're trying to find it on likes and shares on social media as well. Is this really what God has? To be enslaved to always chasing after more of the exact same things and, and, and without coming to the realization of, you know what, this is not satisfying me? That maybe my life was not meant to be lived like this. Maybe God had something more in mind. And so Paul, he's talking to Timothy. He's like, be watchful of this spirit that can easily bubble up in God's people. In any one of us, where we might find ourselves discontenting with the amazing grace that God has given us. That rather than seeing what God has given us, no, we would rather chase after vain, empty, pointless things in life sometimes. That make us feel weird that build our stress and anxiety for more good purpose. 
And so Paul, he kind of goes on to encourage Timothy into a better pursuit of life. Rather than chasing after things that are empty, he says there's a better way. We find it when we pick back up in 1 Timothy, verse 11. He says, but as for you, O man of God, or I would add in here, O woman of God as well for our current audience. He says, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. So flee the, the pursuits that everyone else has that just leads to emptiness, right? So flee them. So what are we going to do instead? He says, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. And so take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And so what is this good confession? It's that Jesus lives. Jesus reigns. Jesus died for our sins and Jesus is going to come again. This is the big hope of our Christianity is that we're saying Jesus has satisfied everything. He is our big hope. He says, take hold of that. Focus upon that. Let that be the central focus of everything else. And that how you live your life then is rather than chasing after things that aren't going to satisfy instead pursue greater things. Pursue virtues of righteousness, of love, of faithfulness. Now let me be clear, that's hard work. That's why he says this is a fight, a good fight of the faith. That's why Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And Paul says in other places, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Because this does not happen just because we're dragged to church. But this is a, a, a matter of our minds, though. Is this a pursuit of my life where I want to be known as someone who's righteous? Do I want to be known as someone who's loving? As faithful? In which case, we're what a concept, imagine with me, if Christmas was more of rather than let's get more stuff and let's satisfy that brokenness inside of us, what if instead we live Christmas with my purpose in this season is to pursue righteousness and godliness and faithfulness and to build that up in my children as well, my friends. I think we would celebrate Christmas a little bit differently, right? Because what we work toward is what we become. N.T. Wright, one of my favorite scholars to read, says this. He says, if you have trained yourself only to get enjoyment from things that cost money, you need to go into a different sort of training. This is a, a fight in life. Because we're not naturally wired this way. We're naturally wired to, to be filled with pleasure when we buy something, when we achieve something, when we do something that, that speaks to who we are and things like that, we're not wise to say, let's work towards a deeper virtue. Let's work to be a different kind of people. So it's, it's a good thing if you put this into our practicality of our real world. If yours like, hey, I want to be a better husband and wife, that's a good start. But you know what's a better step? Come up with a plan on how you're going to become that and then do the work. It's the same thing if you want to be a better parent, a better kid, a better child to your you know, parents or, or a better friend. It's good to have that desire. That's great. A lot of people have those desires and don't do anything. It is better to pursue 
true righteousness and, and faithfulness and godliness and love and steadfastness. And that requires work. So, so wanting to be a better husband, a better friend, a better child, a better parent, that's a good start. But come up with a plan. How are you going to be that? And then put that plan into action. Ask yourself, how can I be 1% better today than I was yesterday? This is an ongoing fight in our lives to pursue righteousness. To step into a new story. To, to move toward a new direction. This is what Paul is encouraging Timothy when he's charging Timothy to remember the good confession. To remember what Christ has done. He stresses it when we go on to the next verse. Verse 13 he says, I charge you in the presence of God. So there's a lot of weight in what he's about to say here. Okay? Who gives life to all things. And of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. Here's the charge. To keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable life, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. So right there, we can see that Paul is presenting, he's talking about, hey, there's a lot of people who are finding discontentment in all the other vain pursuits of life, and he's presenting, he's like, there's a better way. Remember the story of Jesus. He's calling Timothy to reflect on that in light of this discontenting spirit that he's seeing in the world. He says, remember who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and where Jesus is at in this very moment, ruling over all things. And in this, we find contentment. Because you see, the real secret to finding contentment is finding the one who's made all things. Because finding all that you need in life comes from finding the one who's made all things. Finding all that you need in life comes from finding the one who's made all things. And that is the enter into 2020 in that spirit. Where rather than trying to acquire more and feed into this beast of consumerism that's in our world, rather we stop and say, what does this say about the gospel? The way I'm, I'm living, what I'm doing, and the way I'm, I'm raising kids and being a spouse and stuff like that. What does this say about the gospel in heaven? Does this show that I have found the one who has made all things? Does this show that I have found the one who is the maker and designer of life? What if we lived our lives like because Jesus is our ultimate satisfaction. And I'm not just saying that because it sounds cliche and pastor. It's true. It's like how we talked about last week, that we exist to make Jesus famous. Because we recognize that he is the one who's made all things, and our ultimate satisfaction in life is going to be found in him before anything else. And I want that to be true for all of us. And if you're sitting in this room, you're like, that's nice and all this, but I don't think I have this Jesus in my life. I, I look at my life and I'm very dissatisfied by a lot of different things. Then please, I, I want to encourage you, come talk to us after the service. Because we want you to, to have Jesus in your life. And we want to walk you through that. And, and so you can be who you were always meant to be. Now, I recognize all that I've been talking about. You might be thinking, that's nice, Mason, but what about those who are rich? Or wealthy. I mean, does this mean that they're in trouble for that? Or, or does this mean that they've sinned because they're wealthy? No, that's not what Paul's saying. That's not what Jesus says either when you read the Gospels. 
But Paul does actually have a word of encouragement to those who are wealthy. I think it applies to us when we recognize that we're in the top 10% of the entire world's economy as Americans. So, so these words that I think Paul is saying next, I think it will apply incredibly to us. So it's in verse 17 of that passage. He says, as for the rich in this present age, remember, this is also going to apply to us. Here's what he says. He says, charge them not to be haughty or prideful, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. And here's the charge. Here's what we need to do, right? It says, they are to do good, to be rich in good works. To be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. See, finding all that you need in life starts with finding the one who has made all things, the one who has given you life. And when we have that understanding, we start to look at our wealth in different ways. Maybe we'll start to look at this Christmas season in different ways, and we'll see that there is this level of expectation and responsibility upon us that when we have this great ability to do good in comparison to the rest of the world, we're then obligated to do good because of what God has given us. So that's real contentment. Contentment is not measured in how much you can get, but it's measured in how much you can give and do for others. And this is where we're going to start bringing in hope into this, this season. When we stop doing what everyone else is doing, and we remind ourselves of the story of Jesus, and so in the rest of this series, we're going to be stepping into the story of Jesus. And rather than trying to be like everyone else in this world, where there's this amazing pressure that you've got to do all these things and give all these things for others, we're going to ask ourselves, if Jesus really came to this world, and we believe he really came, there's historical facts for it. What are the implications on how we're living our lives? And I think what we're going to discover is that there's hope out there. And we all need that right now in the season, right? We live in an age where hope is dwindling. We live in an age of chaos. We see all time on the news and things like that. The 2020s been hard. So let's try to change the narrative. And the last few weeks of this year, Let's try to step into a story of hope. Let's turn Christmas upside down so we can see Jesus. So rather than doing what we've always done, we can turn our eyes to Jesus. And my hope is in this, we'll find ourselves less stressful this season, less weary, less dissatisfied, less guilty and shameful and things like that. What we might find is peace and rest and hope. And as we find the one who we really all need, his name is Jesus. Won't you pray with me? Father, I recall that you walked this earth with Jesus. You looked at your disciples and the last things you told them was that you were the way, the truth, and the life. But I recognize my own spirit tries to find other things to be the way, or to be the truth, or to be the life. And I'll sometimes even justify 
I'll sometimes even spiritualize them and make myself feel satisfied when it doesn't really satisfy. Because you are what this entire season is about. You're what life is all about. And so, Father, please guide us into a new kind of Christmas. One where instead of the pressures, the stress that we normally always feel, emptiness that we experience right after the holidays, we, we step into a time of hope. We step into a time of seeing how you have a word against the injustice in this world, how you call us to worship fully, how you call us to love all, how you call us to, to give more, not in a monetary value, but to give more of our lives to one another and to, to spend less on material things so that we can Use our resources to make eternal, significant impacts upon this world. So, Father, we are looking forward to what you might bring about in this series as we go forward. Help us to find our contentment in you in all these things. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Oh. Uh-huh.